What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving and welcoming you to the 82nd episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Of course, I want to thank you all for spending your holiday with me. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, hands down. So, you know, we had to have a special show for my special and favorite holiday. Guest this week will be a friend of the program, Miss Keely Devin from NBC Sports Washington. And of course, you know she's talking about the Washington Wizards. They've been in the eye of the storm of the national media this week. We're going to break all of their storylines down, including what changes should be made to this roster. All that plus, Kimball Walker is an all-star. Kimball Walker is playing at an all-NBA level. But I'll tell you why I would not repeat, would not offer him a Supermax this upcoming offseason. All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. They say America is the land of second chances. And to a large degree, I do agree with that sentiment. But damn it, we real stingy with third chances. You know what I mean? You'll get a second chance. You're not going to get a third. And if you do, you better be very, very lucky because most of us don't. So you can imagine my surprise when on Monday I read an amazing article, an amazing piece by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix detailing how former Brooklyn Nets general manager Billy King is itching and waiting and almost kind of confused as to why he hasn't gotten another chance. Billy King, for those of you who are not aware, is the man who traded essentially five years. I'm I'm exaggerating, but he traded multiple picks to the Boston Celtics for washed-up Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. Those picks that essentially have rejuvenated the Celtics franchise and put them in a position where many people, myself included, thought that they would be a championship contender this season and for years to come. Billy King is the man. Who did that? Billy King also. Like, that trade, all of these unprotected first-round picks, all of these provisions where the Celtics would be able to swap picks with the Nets, all of that overshadows the fact that Billy King is also the man who traded multiple unprotected first-round picks to the Atlanta Hawks so he could, so he could be the one to overpay Joe Johnson. Like my how, you know, we forgot about Joe. I sold Joe. Billy King did all of that. Essentially ruined the Brooklyn, set back the Brooklyn Nets franchise. God knows how many years with those two just unbelievably dumb decisions. And now, just a few years later, once the Nets finally have, you know, gotten past those idiotic moves, after the Celtics have essentially built a championship core because of those moves, here comes Billy King talking about how he thinks he deserves a second chance. Billy King to you? 
I say. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your ass down. And I'm not even trying to be that guy to be all, you know, to be sensational and to, you know, be extra and, you know, being unfair in my criticisms. It's the holiday. I'm in the holiday spirit. I love this time of the year. I'm not mad at Billy King. I'm not mad at Billy King in the in the slightest bit. But, bro, I don't know who's giving you advice. You know what I'm saying? If I was Billy King, I would be off the grid, whether it's in a, at a beach or if you like to ski on, on the slopes or in the mountains, in the woods, if you like to kind of be a nature guy, nature boy, if you will, I'd be somewhere off the grid cashing my checks because he's been he's been paid handsomely over the years and just try to just kind of fall into, you know, not obscurity, but just get into a place where people forget about me. You know, because so many people are so caught up in their legacy and how they'll be remembered and all this, that, and the third. Billy King is going to be remembered as the man who ruined a franchise and propelled another one in the same division with one of the worst trades in the modern NBA. He can't outrun that. In the, in the article, he says how he kind of has to wear that trade as the scarlet letter. However, it's not that he just made that one bad decision. I told you about the Joe Johnson deal. The Darren Williams deal. Multiple first-round picks for Darren Williams. He decided he's the guy who thought having Jason Kidd would be a great idea as a head coach. He was the first guy to think that. I mean, the list goes on and on. He traded first-round picks for Gerald Wallace. Slim. What are you thinking, bro? I know it's got to be hard. I know all these guys are competitive. They see if you're Billy King, I get it, man. You saw what Bill or what Phil Jackson did with the Knicks. Ran them to the ground. If you're Billy King, you see what's going on in D.C. with Ernie Grunfield. Ernie Grunfield's got 16 years, has ruined an organization for close to two decades, has overseen multiple rebuilds, right? If you are Billy King, you look at that and it's like, man, I could do that. I'm sure Billy King feels some type of way about Elton Brand. He's the he's running the ship in Philadelphia, a ship that's already ready made. You know, I'm sure Billy King looks at James Jones and says, "Hell, man, he's got he's got a blank canvas with Devin Booker in the number one overall pick. He's got an opportunity to do something special. I wish I'm sure he wishes to have that opportunity as well. Guess what, bro?" Those are the breaks because the Nets, they weren't the first team you ruined. You were running the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> people forget about that. You were so bad in Brooklyn that people forgot about how bad you were in Philly. And you had a transcendent talent in Philadelphia. I'm a Virginia boy. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Shout out to Allen Iverson. And you couldn't get it done. That was your first chance. Brooklyn was your second chance. You ruined both opportunities. You messed up, Slim. Again, third chances don't come around a lot. You make one mistake, hell, we all do, right? We've all, 
Y'all heard the segment a few weeks ago. We all have to take L's from time to time. It happens. So if you are in a situation where you mess up on your first opportunity, big opportunity, you know, it happens. Learn from your mistakes. Brush your, brush your shoulder off. Brush yourself off. And try it again. Because we are a land of second chances. We do love the comeback story. We do love second opportunities. But damn it if you ruin that second opportunity, bro. <laughs> the chances of you getting the third shot at it, mm, slim to none, buddy. You better reevaluate. That Billy King is somewhere looking for sympathy? Dog, and I hate the Nets. I don't even like the Nets. But I feel for that organization. Any NBA fan feels for that organization because one man and his pride and his gusto and the, the idea that he thought a 30-something Paul Pierce, a 30-something Joe Johnson, a 30-something Kevin Garnett and Darren Williams with Brooke Lopez making an absurd amount of money would be a championship contender. I don't even know how much you would have to drink to allow yourself to think that. I mean, that was I mean, just a, a comedy of disaster, right? A comedy of mistakes. Just a ridiculous organization, or like a, a ridiculous franchise roster that he compiled that was over the tax, mind you. So not only are you have, do you have this bad team, not only did you ruin your future, not only did you not have any type of flexibility, but you were over the luxury tax. Ugh. And now, five years later, you talk about you want a, a third, another chance? Man, you better sit your ass down. I don't even like doing this, bro. You know, I'm not trying to knock the brother. He's trying to make, you know, he's trying to clear his name. Again, he's wearing this as a scarlet letter. I'm sure he can't stand it. I'm sure his ego hurts. I'm sure his pride thinks and feels that he can make it right, that he has learned from his mistakes. But damn it, man, when you make mistakes on this level to this degree, and you don't, you know, you don't really get that many other chances. Hell, I wouldn't let Billy King run my G League team, bro. <laughs> you couldn't touch, man, the 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 Washington go-go. You feel me? The Westchester Knicks. None of them. You couldn't touch none of hell. You know how you got to work and wherever you work at, they don't have the, um, the server for your fantasy league. So you got to call your homeboy or your, or your girl, or your friend to kind of draft for you. And even if you let them know who you want and where and how to maneuver, I wouldn't let Billy King draft my fantasy team, bro. None of it. None of it. And here he comes. Talking to Chris Mannix, talking about he thinks he needs another chance. He deserves another shot. Angry man, holla at Billy King for me. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your ass down. Sit your ass all the way down. Bro, don't stand up. Take a seat. Stay there. It's a holiday weekend. No Black Friday shopping for you, Billy. Sit your ass down. Get a lazy boy. Kick your feet up. It's over. It's all good. It's all good, baby. People, at some point, people will forget. But in order for people to forget, because I know you probably feel some type of way, 
being known as the guy who ruined the Nets. You know what you got to do? You just got to shut up. People will forget, but you keep on running out there and jumping in the spotlight. People like myself are going to have to remind the world, dog, you ruined the Nets. The Nets are a trash organization, and yet somehow you ruined them. And once the Nets look like they finally have something, they're starting to turn the corner. Here your ass go. What about me, guys? I deserve, I deserve another shot. Man, take a seat, buddy. It's all good. I'm in the holiday spirit. I'm sure you guys can tell by that first quarter. But remember, let me know what you guys think. Let me know if you feel that Billy King does deserve a third opportunity or not. Tweet at me at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or you can email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. And make sure you guys head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Let me, let your friends, and let the world know what you think of the Quarterly Report podcast. Leave us five stars and reviews. Reviews are super important on Apple, so let them know what you think, good, bad, and everything in between. All right, guys, we're going to keep things moving, staying on the hardwood with our second topic this week. Second quarter. One of the best things of the NBA season thus far has been kind of the national spotlight given to Kimba Walker. And it's kind of crazy to say the national spotlight in Kimba Walker because most casual fans remember Kimba Walker for his amazing run at UConn, what, eight years, eight, nine years ago? It's crazy that it's been this long that he's been in the league. So people are aware of Kimball Walker. People are aware of his talent. But as a professional, he has gotten so much better over the last two to three seasons. And it's all coming to a head now. Kimball Walker is currently, at the time of this recording, leading the league in points per game. The Charlotte Hornets are a competitive team much better than, again, early in the season, right? but much better than I think anyone could have expected and anyone could have imagined. And now there are reports that the bo- the Hornets, I was about to say the podcast, that the Hornets are like finally ready to build and around Kimba and give him a second star. All of this is happening in a contract year, so it's very convenient, right? You're going to waste all these years of Kimba Walker, and then now when he's, you know, on the verge of free agency, they're like, hey, maybe we should surround him with a legit star, second-tier star to kind of build around and maybe, you know, see how far we can go. I enjoy Kimball Walker, man. When Kimball Walker gets goes off, it's so much fun because he has a crazy handle. Obviously, he has range, and in today's NBA, guards who aren't necessarily that big, because Kimball is not a big player. He's like six feet. I think small guy, but he's fast. He has incredible handles and obviously he can shoot from basically anywhere in, on the gym. And in today's NBA, all of those things were once looked upon as weaknesses or flaws, but now everybody wants that. They covet that about Kimba and Kimba in the contract year is showing up and showing out. And I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy that he's in this position where he can absolutely secure the bag next offseason and that he's getting the attention. Kimball Walker 
not only is he going to be an all-star this year, he was an all-star last year, but you can make the case that Kimba Walker can be an all-NBA player again. I understand we're super, super early in the season, but at this pace, he is well on his way to doing something that guys like him don't usually get. They don't usually get that opportunity. So I'm ecstatic. I'm happy for Kimba. Happy for the Hornets organization and the fans down there who support that team. They brought back the old court, the old Alonzo Morning, Muggsy Bowles, LJ jerseys, you know, for the little city edition joints. I, I thought it was super dope. It's got a lot of good vibes going on in Charlotte. And I say all of that to say there's no way in hell I would sign Kimball Walker to a Supermax contract this upcoming offseason. No way. Again, I'm a fan. I enjoy his game. I wish that man nothing but success. And I'm happy that some team will offer him a Supermax. But Kimball Walker is 28 years old. I think he'll be 29 next offseason. He is a six-foot guard. And you're going to pay him, especially if he makes an all-NBA team, that means he is lying for a Supermax, which would be, I want to say, 180-some-odd. Don't quote me on that, but around that range, right? These super large contracts that are being dished out to a select few NBA players. Kimball Walker will be lined up for one of those. Kimball Walker is a really good player. And if Kimball Walker is your second best player on your team, You'll be a really good, you could be a good team. If Kimber Walker is your third best player in your team, you cooking with something. If Kimber Walker is your best player, however, man, I don't know how sustainable success can be for you. Charlotte, with Kimber Walker's amazing start right now, they're fighting to be an eight seed in the East. And whenever the playoffs do begin, if the Hornets are so lucky to make the playoffs, they get bounced in four or five games by Toronto or Milwaukee or Philadelphia or whomever else is at top the conference. We know that. If you're going to do that, why spend so much money on a player just to get bounced in the first round? Unless that player is very young, right? Giannis is super young. Giannis can be like, you could, you don't have to squint or imagine too hard to picture Giannis as the best player in this league. Kimball Walker, even as fun of a player he, as he is, even as exciting of a player as he is, and even, even as, as well as he's played thus far this season, there's no way you can ever imagine Kimba as a top player in this league. Not a top number one, not a top three, not a top five, not a top ten. He's just not. And he's about to be 29. He's currently in the middle to the lit, like of his prime. You don't pay for this. You don't pay that type of money for that. You know, we're just a few years removed from a similar discussion when it as it pertains to Isaiah Thomas in Boston. Remember Isaiah Thomas? Everybody was talking, man, you know what? He was second team all NBA. He led that team. He was clutched down the stretch. That team went to the conference championship. Everybody loved the story. Obviously, he had the, tra the tragic situation with his family. He knocked, lost his tooth in the playoff game, but he kept on coming. Everybody loved Isaiah Thomas. And as a Knicks fan, I did too, which should tell you so much because I hate the Celtics. 
And he wanted that big contract, that max contract, that super max contract. And what did Danny Ainge do? He didn't give it to him. He didn't even give him a regular max. He traded his ass because he knew you cannot win anything meaningful with that type of player being your best player or being your highest paid player. You just can't do it. Now, if Kimba Walker is playing besides LeBron, then obviously, you know what? Who knows, right? Because LeBron is basically weapon X. You know, he, he, he just accounts for so much. So all the normal rules just don't apply when it comes to LeBron. But Kimba, you know, I'm not saying don't pay him. I'm not ever going to put my hand in the next person's pocket. I want Kimba Walker to get the money because he's worked hard to make himself an all-star. He has worked tirelessly to make himself a potential all-NBA player, and that deserves a reward. But do I want Kimba playing for my Knicks? Hell no. If I was a fan of the Hornets, would I want to sign Kimba Walker to a four- or five-year Supermax contract? Hell no. I wouldn't touch it. It's crazy that that's where we are now, right? Where a player can give you his all, can maximize himself as a star, as a potential NBA superstar, can give you everything he has. Kimba Walker is going to have basically every single Charlotte Hornets franchise record. All of them. But, but the cap is so is the cap is such a tricky situation that man, everyone is afforded one bad contract. But damn it, if you mess up on a supermax, your margin of error becomes that smaller, right? It becomes that much tougher. And if you are going to pay anybody that much money, you should at least be trying to compete for a championship. Like, that should be the goal. Why spend so much money if you know you have no shot? You know what I'm saying? It just, I don't understand that logic. If I know I have no shot at winning a championship, then I'm going to be frugal. I'm going to be diligent with my money. I'm not saying I'm just going to tank, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be smart. You know, I'm going to understand the market and try to utilize cap space as an asset. I'm not going to sign any player to an exorbitant amount of money if I know that this person can't swing the pendulum one way or the other as it pertains to winning. I'm not, nah, I don't get down like that. That doesn't make sense to me. So while I'm happy for Kimball Walker, I'm happy for Charlotte Hornets fans, I'm happy for the organization. I'm happy for the NBA because watching Kemba Walker play is fun. It is fun to watch him get off, go off for 60 points, go off for 43 points the next night or whatever the number was. He just plays at such an exciting pace and plays an exciting brand of basketball. I can say that as a fan and as an observer. But as a fan of, of a specific team, I don't want any part of Kimba at a Supermax contract. It's a tough, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's the real, it's the realest thing that anybody can say about him. So let's give that man his roses as we watch him perform, but know that thanks, but no thanks on paying you and having you play for my favorite team. All right, guys, you heard the horn. It was a quick first half. You know, usually I'm a bit long with it, 
in the first and second quarters. But I think I've done a pretty good job. Pat myself on the back right there. You heard the horn, so you know halftime is right around the corner. But before we get to halftime, it's one of my favorite things to do on the show. It's stoppage time, where I take some time out to answer some of your guys' tweets or text, or not text, emails. Tweets, text, emails. If you've got my cell phone number, go ahead and text me if you want. But I'm not giving y'all that joint on the air, not on this pod. But this week, I've got two emails. Um, that we're going to get to, starting with Muhammad from Petersburg, Virginia, right around my neck of the woods. Shout out to Mo. And he says, Armand, I know you are a huge boxing fan, so how, how excited are you for Creed 2? All right, Mo, so thanks for the question. Um, I was more excited about Creed 2 when I was just hearing about the movie. You know, I was a fan of the first Creed. Um, I'm not the biggest Rocky guy, but, you know, it was fun as a child watching Rocky because it's so just dramatized and everyone's over-exaggerating. The fight scenes are ridiculous. But as an adult and as a boxing fan, it makes it hard for me to kind of really get geeked up for some of these movies. Um, so, yeah, man, I saw the trailer the first time for Creed 2. And I know this sounds crazy for most of y'all, especially if you're not a boxing fan. And I know most of people listening to this show aren't boxing fans, but... Bear with me. I see the trailer, and, you know, you see him working out and training, and he's like, okay, okay. And then you see Drago's son stand beside Creed, and it dawns on me in an instant. Drago's son is like three weight classes at maybe at least two weight classes, possibly three or more bigger than Adonis Creed. So I'm thinking to myself, there's no way these guys would fight. Not in a sanctioned fight. Like, if they scrapping in the streets, whatever. There's no way they would sanction a fight between these two because they're not in the same class. And they're not, like, one weight class away or maybe two. They're, like, significantly different in size. And, again, I understand if you're not a boxing fan, that probably means nothing to you. You're like, oh, man, Armand, you, you wilding a little bit. Chill out. I can't chill out because every time I see the trailer – that thought comes across my mind. I'm like, why would they fight? There's no way they would fight. And if you're not a boxing fan, if you think I'm making a, too big of a deal of this, imagine if you're an NBA fan and there's a trailer, and in the trailer you see a player hit a seven-point shot. Or in the trailer you see, you know, the New York Knicks play the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA Finals, right? That's just that's not possible. That doesn't happen. That's not real. It would bother you. You know, if someone hit a home run in a baseball movie and, you know, it was worth 10 runs or some something strange like that, you would be like, huh, that's not possible. That's just not, or not, if they played, you know, six innings or seven innings instead of nine, you it would bother you. Seeing Adonis Creed, a light heavyweight in the movie, Right, they had him as a light heavyweight in the first Creed. Fighting someone who is clearly a heavyweight just doesn't <laughs> it just doesn't sit well with me. So, you know, I'ma see the movie. You know, I'm gonna check it out. But I gotta be honest with you, my excitement level for the movie has dropped significantly since seeing the first trailer. In fact, I'm far more excited to see Wreck It Ralph 2 with my daughter than I am to see Creed 2. So, um, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Maybe I'll do my review of the film in the upcoming weeks because I will check it out. So, Muhammad, thank you for that question. 
Uh, secondly, we have Justin from Silver Spring, Maryland. Shout out to Justin. And this question is quite simple. Should the Wiz blow it up? And my answer is also simple. Yes, they absolutely should. In fact, they should have blown it up a long time ago. All last season, if you guys have been listening to this podcast since the beginning, number one, thank you very much. But last year, you heard me talk ad nauseum about how teams shouldn't wait. They should evaluate, right? I talked about how throughout the history of the NBA teams who are built through their backcourt, meaning their starting point guard, starting two guard, leading them in usage and shot attempts and points, they just very rarely win anything significant. Unless you've got a Steph Curry, who I think is a top 10 player, you've got a James Harden or a Chris Paul, players who are among the best players currently. When I say Steph Curry is a top 10 player, I mean Steph Curry is a top 10 player all time. You know, you got to have an all-time great, the bad boy Pistons, Isaiah Thomas. You've got to have a player in your backcourt. If you're going to build through the backcourt, you better have an all-time great or a special player. John Wall and Bradley Bill are very good, but they're not all-time greats, and they're not special. And there's just the team... The team is just built in a way that it just isn't working, and they've given it so many attempts. This is year seven. You know, the writing's been on the wall. But people talk about a rebuild as if it's going to be this painful experience in the D.C. area. It shouldn't be, honestly, because, number one, the first thing for the Wizards, fire Ernie Grunfeld. Get his ass about the paint. It's clear. He should have been, he should have been let go so many times. I mean, this team gives out secret extensions because they know that like, they are ashamed to, um, to mention that they are extending him because they know he's bad and they know the backlash that they'll receive. The organization would get so much goodwill. There'd be so much excitement with the fan base by just letting Ernie Grunfeld go, not making a single move, just letting him go People would be all in. People would buy into the Wizards. There would be excitement. That sounds crazy for those of you who are not in this area, but I promise you that one simple move would would bring so much goodwill to this area and organization. But in terms of the actual process, once you get the main culprit out of here, the Wizards have good players. So you are able to get value back. The rebuild wouldn't be that bad. The Wizards just had an amazing comeback victory versus the Clippers on Tuesday. And it dawned on me. Like, the Clippers lost Chris Paul last offseason. And then midway through last year, they traded Blake Griffin. And here they are now playing lights-out basketball. And they did it by acquiring young talent and picks. The Wizards have talent. They have talent that other teams would covet. Would you get equal value for John Wall? No, you would not. But you probably could get more value than the actual productivity that Bradley Bill's giving you on the floor. So that's a that's a wash. And then with Otto, I, I, y'all know I'm a fan of Otto Porter. His contract is heavy. It absolutely is. But they're absolutely teams, smart teams, who would want his play. Otto in Philly would be amazing. I think... The Wizards should trade Otto Porter to the Sixers and hope for a pick. Wilson Chandler's expiring contract and Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz is a local boy. You know, get him around his family and people he's comfortable with. 
let him kind of sit this year out to get himself together in his shoulder and his body and his mind or whatever the case and run it back next year as the hometown hero. You know, that type of stuff writes itself. So I think the Wizards should blow it up, and I don't think it, it's going to be this tough, um, this process, for lack of a better term, right? I don't think it's going to be this hard, long, drawn-out, you know, ordeal if the Wizards do decide to blow it up. Like, it's been time. Seven years, they haven't been to a conference championship, they haven't won 50 games, and they've got six wins in, what, 17 games, right? It's time. All right, Justin, thank you so much for your questions as well. Everybody who's listening, remember, you can always email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com, or tweet at the show at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, show with your questions, comments, anything you want to have me talk about or discuss. This is your opportunity to be producer for the show, man. I love hearing from you guys. And I love interacting with you as well. So let me know your thoughts and let me know what you want to hear me talk about. All right, guys, that was stoppage time. So it's time for halftime this week. And, man, it's time to make another trip to the call center where some of your favorite athletes and celebrities have some pressing matters that they need to get off their chest. So we decide to give them some advice for the quarterly report call center. Take a listen. Hello and welcome to the Quarterly Report Call Center. We do our best to give you the best advice to answer some of the biggest and most pressing needs in your life. Caller number one, what's your name and where you're from? Hey, first time caller, long time listener. Glad I got through. My name is Jimmy, Jimmy Haslam from Cleveland. I'm an owner and my product is god awful. I'm in search to desperately reinvigorate my team and its fan base. And I'm thinking outside the box here, and I'm wondering if I should look to former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice to run my operation. What do you think? All right, Jimmy, thanks for the phone call. Listen, man, I am in awe at how poorly your organization continues to be run. I honestly don't know. You guys have tried to zig where everyone else has zagged in the past. But the problem was you guys didn't give it any real chance to succeed. Remember the Sashi Brown thing you guys were going to tank? You guys were essentially going to do what the Philadelphia 76ers did in the NBA. With the one exception, where the Sixers did it for three seasons, you guys did it for one. And then left, and then just basically said, ah, you know what, forget it. Now, depending on how you want to look at it, that one year of failing on purpose has generated positive results you guys got a lot of really high priced picks that have hit in recent years because of that one year of tanking i honestly think that you guys should have stayed the course at least a few more years now look we know about the head coaching hire that was awful with you okay and if you're telling me that you want to think outside the box and hire condy rice to run your organization or be your head coach Initially, I got to be honest with you, I thought that was a joke. And it probably is because it's been dismissed by not only your organization, but the former Secretary of State herself. However, Dominique Foxworth had an article a few years ago, which he retweeted um, 
as a result of this news that came out this past weekend about hiring coaches as CEOs, people who don't necessarily delve into the day-to-day thing, but kind of overrun or oversee, if you will, the operation and delegate necessary to the needs of the team. Everything that you guys have done has failed thus far. Everything. You guys have Baker Mayfield. You got Nick Chubb. You've got Miles Garrett. You have a nice young core. You have a very strong defense. But there is no real leader of your team. Whether it's Condi Rice or someone else, it may behoove you to try to do something different. Look, I'm not saying hire Condi Rice because you'll garner attention. Because it seems like that's exactly what it is. That they are clout chasing. I'm not going to disrespect her and ridicule her football knowledge because it's clear she definitely has some. And again, if you wanted to hire someone to oversee your day-to-day football operations in a head coaching manner, that would be fine. I think what happened with the Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay is along those lines. Sean McVay is an offensive mastermind, and I'm not saying that Condi Rice would be an offensive mastermind similar to Sean McVay, but Sean McVay runs the offense and he oversees kind of big picture um, decisions. Wade Phillips is the defensive coordinator and it seems by all accounts, McVay doesn't even touch that side of the ball. He'll talk to the guys as needed, but he really just leaves that alone to Wade Phillips. That's perfect. Andy Reid is similar. Andy Reid is an amazing offensive mastermind, offensive play caller. But we know in the playoffs, he struggles with clock management and timeouts. Imagine if someone was there just to to help Andy Reid with that. If Andy Reid didn't have to worry about calling timeouts, there was someone there just for that purpose. There was someone there just for the purpose of um, challenging a play call. Like if the coach didn't have to worry about all of that, he could just focus on what he's strong at. I think that that is a smart way of looking for a head coaching candidate, whether it's Condi Rice, whether it's Luke Skywalker or anyone else in the middle, in between, right? No matter who you hire, hire someone, you know, who is comfortable and is strong at something and keep them away from doing something that we all know they're not strong at. If Condoleezza Rice is an amazing delegator and you think that her football knowledge meets the test, boom, do it. But don't cheat it. Don't don't do it just because you want attention and you want people you know, to look at you guys for buzz and, you know, all the other stuff that will come along with it. Because then you're not only disrespecting the former Secretary of State, you're not only disrespecting all the actual, real, legitimate women candidates who could be head coaching, but you're making a disrespect, you're disrespecting your organization and your fan base. So don't hire or interview Condoleezza Rice just for the sake of doing something outside the box. If you want to do something outside the box, I just gave you the best option in my opinion to do so all right guys that one call went a little bit longer so we're only taking one call this week but have no fear we at the quarterly report call center will be back in a few weeks so get your questions and we'll get our answers ready talk to you then that brown stuff was crazy right like it was weird because initially, I think a lot of people, and I, I got to be honest, myself, I was like, man, what the hell are the Browns doing? And then you got to remind yourself, okay, look, I'm not going to be super dismissive to Condoleezza Rice. You know what I'm saying? She's 
she's been a finalist for what uh, baseball's uh, commissioner. She's on the uh, college football playoff committee. She clearly knows her stuff. She clearly knows her sports, and she clearly knows football. But then you start thinking, okay, hold on, man. Y'all, this is the Browns here, right? And they don't get the benefit of the doubt because they are the Browns. I hope that they are serious in regards to thinking, yo, we what we've been doing isn't working. We can't just continue the status quo. What they are doing in that regard and trying to shake things up, I'm all for. And this by no means is me saying that a woman couldn't coach a football team, couldn't coach any professional sports league team, because I definitely think they can, they should. And I'm, I'm assuming relatively soon there will be a woman coaching a professional sports league, like a major professional sports league within the next few years. I'd assume it will be basketball first, but you never know. It could be, you know, uh, football, hockey, or, or a manager in baseball. Who knows, right? But don't do it just to do it, right? Like, believe in the person. And there are a lot of legitimate and great women candidates who could coach. Don't just go swinging for Condoleezza Rice just because it's a name. Now, maybe they've had discussions with her and they've been intrigued with how they view her. I just don't necessarily know if someone can just come off the street without coaching on any level and then being looked upon as being the head coach of one of the 32 uh, biggest teams in the country. You know what I mean? But... The biggest point is that there are a lot of teams where that would work, where I would be confident in that working. The Cleveland Browns are not one of those teams. They just don't have the benefit of the doubt. And they've cut corners at every turn. It just makes you feel like greasy and slimy. Like, yo, y'all really trying to do that to get attention? Because if you are, that's so lame. It's lamer than having orange helmets when you're called the Browns. <laughs> you feel me? Anyway, the first half is in the books on this holiday episode of the Quarterly Report. But we've got two quarters left, starting with the third quarter, where I welcome in my guest this week, friend of the program, digital producer for NBC Sports Washington, Miss Keely Devin. I have known my next guest for several years, and she is without a doubt one of the biggest NBA fans and most knowledgeable NBA fans that I know. She is the digital producer for NBC Sports Washington, covering the Wizards and has ties to the Golden State Warriors. We're going to get into all of that and more. Guys, welcome in for our second appearance on the Quarterly Report, Keely Divin. Keely, thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Make sure you guys follow Keely on Twitter. She's at Keely Devin NBCS, again, digital producer for NBC Sports Washington. And it's funny, you know, when I hit you up this past weekend to come on the show, I wanted to mainly talk about the Golden State Warriors because of your connections with Steph Curry and all the drama swirling around that team. And then Monday happened. And then everything surrounding the Wizards it was like the Wizards became the eye of the storm of the NBA uh, landscape, if you will. So we'll get into the specifics coming up, but just initially, whether it's the drama, the reported leaks, or just the poor start of the season. My first question is simple. What is going on with this team? Um, I think that is probably the million-dollar question or maybe the $200 million question. <laughs> uh, what's going on? Because the team is obviously 
a lot more talented than it was last year. It's bench is better. Um, they have big man help. And John Wall is healthy for all intents and purposes. Bradley right. Beal is healthy. Otto Porter is healthy. Um, so why aren't the pieces fitting together? And I think it really comes down to what Scott Brooks harps on a lot. It's, it's, it's effort on defense. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, players not making the chase down block or going for the steal. That stuff is easy. I'm talking about incredible hustle to stay in front of your man. I'm yeah. talking about being sharp-minded on your defensive assignments, understanding your schemes and how you're switching. They are trying to switch a lot, and they're not doing it well. Right. Um, and I honestly think that it feels like there's no – these players are not being – well, they're not being held accountable in-game to their defensive performance. And I know right. Scott Brooks talks a lot about it, and he – he really harps on that after games, et cetera, but that's not a message that is resonating. It is a message. And it, if we look back, there's been so much comparison to when the Wizards started 2-8 and eight in uh, the season that they almost went there one game away from the Eastern Conference right. Finals. That was 2016-2017. This is not a continuation of that season. No. This is a continuation of the second half of last season when they had a lot of the same questions of defensive effort, of or especially and defensive organization. Right. Um questions of whether players are trying to get are very concerned with shots and stats, things like that. Um, this is the same – this is not a continuation of the season that they turned around. In fact, in that season, their issue was touring. Not yeah. This is really a question, I think, of, of effort, which I think leads to – which sort of fits in with what we now know about that explosive Thursday practice and – some of the reports that have been coming out about the team. Once again, guys, I'm joined by a friend of the program, Keely Divin, digital producer at NBC Sports Washington. Make sure you guys follow her on Twitter at Keely Divin NBCS. Uh, helps cover the Wizards for NBC Sports Washington and that amazing crew on that side of town. And I want to stay here with the Wizards because much has been made about this practice from hell that happened last Thursday. But what followed that, or actually preceded that report, and all the subsequent reports, was that the Wizards have, maybe they're not shopping John Wall, Bradley Bill, but they are open to listening to trade offers for all three of their quote-unquote big three. If it's up to you, and I'm not going to ask you for specific trades that you may have been cooking up on the trade machine, right? But if it's up to you in these three options, would you make a small move, maybe one of the three? Would you blow the whole thing up, which a lot of people, um, a lot of Wizards fans feel they should? Or would you stay pat? Because the talent on this team isn't 6-11 and 11 bad. At some point, you would assume they could figure this out. Of those three options, what which would you do? So, I two points there. Mm -hmm. The first point being that if we are being honest, yeah. every player on every team is available at all times for the right price. Look at DeMar. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. With I a few exceptions, I don't think Steph Curry would ever be, at this point right now, would be on a trade. You know, there's like maybe two or three exceptions to that, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're the greatest player ever, then of course you're not. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I digress. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think – so there's that. And I also think the timing of that report is interesting because it comes after a, 
uh, it comes after a game when players said in the postgame locker room that it is not time to blow it up, that they think they can write the course, that let's not panic. And I think that there are genuinely people in the front office of the Wizards that are tired of hearing the players think it's going to be so easy to turn it around. Right. So I think that, you know, the vagary of the report, um, not that there's any specific potential deal, anything like that, could right. be seen as a way to light a fire under some yeah. of these players. Um, and should the Wizards make blow it up or keep it together is, Less, I think, the question then is, are they going to do that? And I think the answer to are they going to do that is no. Why? Because nobody wants John Wall's contract, and you will not be able to get replacement value for him, and I personally think that he is still their best player, even if Brad has more upward potential. Yeah. So Brad is the piece that is the most attractive on the trade market, and the piece I think that the Wizards will probably be least likely to want to part with. Exactly. And John Wall's contract and Otto Porter's contract make them nearly immovable. Um, and it makes it so that they, the Wizards, you know that the Wizards would not get back anywhere close to that. Placement value for them. No, yeah. not at all. So I also think that it's, it's telling if you look to Candace Suckner's report yesterday that sources in the front office tell her that they're not actually actively looking to move. Auto, feel, or John Wall. Yeah. Which makes me think that that report to Woj was a motivational tactic more than anything else. Um, so if you're a Wizard fan listening to this right now, do not get your hopes up that they're going to blow it up. Which is crazy because I like this is not a team. This is a team that is talented enough on paper that together they should fit well. Is it working out right now? No, it is not. But. It's crazy. If you go to NBC Sports Washington on Instagram, there are people in our comments that were upset when they put together three wins because they were like, oh, we're not going to get Zion Williamson now. (laughs) Yo, it's wild. Like the tanking culture, especially on the heels after what happened in Philadelphia, it's at like an all-time high in the NBA. And that wave is seemingly crashing down on DC as we speak. So we'll see if the Wiz can kind of – Fight that off in the upcoming days and weeks. We'll see. Once again, guys, I'm joined by a friend of the program, Keely Devin. She is a digital producer over at NBC Sports Washington. She helps cover the Wizards over there. Make sure you guys follow her on Twitter at Keely Devin NBCS. Now, like I said earlier, I originally had you on the show to discuss the Golden State Warriors. You have a connection with Steph Curry. You guys both went to the same school at Davidson. And last week, it wasn't the Wizards who were like the drama kings, if you will. It was the Warriors. Um, we're going to talk about Steph Curry momentarily. But, you know, I think a lot of people forget, man, the Warriors have been the four straight NBA Finals. Two straight with Kevin Durant on their team. And we know that that's going to be physically taxing. But what you see with this team, at least in my opinion, that it's taxing emotionally and psychologically. As things stand now, where it seems like there is a clear rift with members of the roster, Kevin Durant, and the organization, do you think it's likely that Kevin Durant, A, finishes this season in Golden State, and B, he resigns with the Warriors next season? Oh, hell yeah, he finishes this season because that's his ticket. That's his cheap ticket (laughs) to a final. And that's why Kevin Durant went there. Kevin Durant did not 
go there because, oh, I love the Bay Area. I really want to play with these guys. No, Kevin Durant was banking on titles. He was like, I'm not going to get a title where I am. Right. So I'm going to take, and whether you like that, whether you think that's taking the easy way out or not, that's what happens. That's a fact. So, that's fact, okay? So, no. You think Kevin Durant is going to give up on another title? Absolutely not. That's why he came there. Right. And that's also, I think, what would make his exit really easy. I don't think he's going to stay. And I think because he did take a lot less money to be with the, to be with the Warriors, and I, right. I also think he realizes that he's going to have to try to make his name somewhere else, however many titles he's going to have to settle for. If you think about Kevin Durant, his career – in a lot of ways, is even though he's won titles, is a sad, is a sad story, right? Yeah. Because he came into the league when he would have been a generational talent, and he's still a generational talent, right? Absolutely, and absolutely. It also happened to overlap with LeBron, LeBron James, <laughs> second best player of all time, and Steph Curry, who is yeah. the greatest shooter in basketball history. This is it's not crazy. Kevin Durant's league. Yeah, and it never has been. It no, has it has been. not. Now, speaking of Steph... This leads us to our final question. You know, it's a debate that I guess has been picking up steam over the last few weeks, um, especially considering the win-loss record without Steph Curry. But I remember when Kevin Durant first won finals MVP two years ago, and I was saying to anyone who would listen that Steph Curry was better than Kevin Durant. Now, that was considered a hot take two years, two-plus years ago, but I felt strongly about it. That, I guess, sentiment, that idea has been gaining steam. For those of you who do not know, over the past two-plus seasons, since Kevin Durant has joined the Warriors, when Steph Curry plays in, without Kevin Durant, so when Steph Curry is playing and Kevin Durant is not playing, the Warriors' winning percentage is greater than when Steph and Kevin Durant both play. And when Steph does not play and KD does, the Warriors are just a middling team. That is obviously just one way to view it, but I don't think it's a hot take anymore, and I'm fairly comfortable in my position now. So I know where you're going to land on this because, you know, I know you, but I'm going to give you the floor. Keely Divin, who is the better player, Steph Curry or Kevin Durant? Steph Curry is, is a better player, and it is not – so I'll tell you why I say that. Steph Curry changes the game around him. His presence yeah. is what allows the Warriors' offense to flow. Steph Curry, whether we see it often or not, is a magnificent ball handler. And Absolutely. he's the one who spreads the floor in a revolutionary way. The game is not the same after Steph Curry arrives. Now, Kevin Durant is damn near unguardable. Right. But he does not change the floor yeah. the way Steph Curry does. And I think – Part of the reason it's a hot take to say Steph Curry is better than Durant is the reason so many players voted for James Harden over Steph Curry when they did their own MVP balloting. And that's yeah. because when you think – and when people think about whether a player is good, they think about a player themselves in a one-on-one situation. Kevin yeah. Durant has much more dazzling physical tools than Absolutely. Steph Curry. But I would say also that the joy and hair-free spirit – that Curry brings to the game makes it so that it's very difficult for him to have any kind of permanent slump. And it yeah. also is a gleefulness in basically ice-picking the other team to death that really yeah. is, that really is demoralizing. Um, 
And so I think that Steph is really your ultimate offensive weapon. Um, if Kevin, Kevin Durant doesn't – again, Kevin Durant is a generational talent. He right. would be the best player in the league in many eras. Yeah. But he is overlapping with Steph Curry and LeBron James. And there is some special magic, and I don't know what it is, in Steph Curry's game that makes him so much more integral to the success of that team. Absolutely. And let me tell you, working very closely with the folks at NBC uh, Bay Area, the fan base, oh, it's, not even, it's yeah. not even close. Steph Curry is their bread and butter for paid views, everything that they do. He is the heart and soul of that franchise. Kevin Durant jumped on when they had already won. And right. Kevin Durant was not a lovable underdog that scrapped yeah. to, got, to get to the front. Because if we can't forget that even though the Warriors are so obviously the heavyweight favorites relentlessly, yeah. the, ma- the vast majority of their careers and their lives, those players have been the underdogs and the long odds, long shot players, except right. for Kevin Durant. And I think that that's really the, the thing that was rewarding about that team and rooting for that team in that first championship is lessened to a degree by Kevin Durant being there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I well, will he, say but, – and I told you this, and I think I told you this before the interview started. If this, if we think that this Warriors team is going to be derailed because Draymond is out of control and yelled at, at Kevin Durant in a public incident, if it, if that's all it takes to derail one of the greatest and one of the most dominant NBA dynasties that we've seen recently, then they deserve it. Then they deserve the call for it. You know, it's weird because, you know, I cautioned everyone before the season. I didn't think that it was going to be a cakewalk for the Warriors. I didn't think it was going to be an automatic championship. Um, They are obviously still the prohibitive favorites, but the East is tough, especially at the top. And I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk like it was last year to get to the uh, championship again. So we'll see a lot of exciting basketball to be played left uh, league-wide and a lot of – a lot of interesting storylines that still need to be played out here locally. So thank you as always, Keely. Make sure you guys follow her on Twitter. She's at Keely Devin, NBCS, digital producer for NBC Sports Washington, helping cover the Washington Wizards and all the stuff surrounding your favorite teams in the D.C. area. Keely, thank you as always for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for having me. Let's do it again soon. All right. Thanks again, Keely. Three quarters are in the books, leaving us with one quarter left on this Thanksgiving Thursday. So, guys, buckle up for our final topic this week. Fourth Man, what a Monday night football game we had this past week. It it rarely happens in this day and age where something can be built up to the moon and then still deliver. And I know there's so many people out there like, you know what, this isn't football. This is Video game, this is Madden. I don't like seeing how defense has been legislated out of the league. Nah, y'all can keep that. Give me 54, 51 games or whatever the final score was for that night. Give me those games every single week. That was amazing. And I'm not even the biggest NFL fan. I enjoy the sport. I enjoy football. But, you know, I'm not one of these people who who schedule their entire weekends and Monday nights based upon the game. That's not me. Not not for football. Not at all. But I'd be lying to you if I wasn't glued to that game. Initially, I'm watching I'm watching an NBA game to start. And I know 
Y'all know me. I love basketball. So I'm not even really paying too much attention to the Monday Night Football game. I've got it up. But I'm focused on basketball. And then the timeline starts blowing up. Bloom, bloom, bloom. And I'm looking. I'm like, yo, you know, these, these dudes are going at it. Pick six. It doesn't matter. Fumble recovery for a touchdown. It doesn't matter. Like, it was one huge play after another. And I was like, I haven't enjoyed a football game. A regular season football game this much since I don't know when. So then, of course, naturally, this is a Super Bowl preview. All Everybody's getting these takes out, right? The Rams, the Chiefs, you know, interconference showdown, amazing Monday night football game, amazing ratings, compelling television, compelling players, talent on both sides of the field for both teams. Boom. We're going to run it back in February. No, we're not. No, we are not. Let's enjoy this game for what it was because it was a, it was lightning in a bottle. It was catching lightning in a bottle. I know a lot of people are like, yo, you know, why are you so quick to dismiss it? Last year, we had the two best teams play in the regular season, Patriots, Eagles, and they ran it back for the Super Bowl. It's not something that is completely out of the question. And my response to you would be, yes, it is out of the question, because last year featured the Patriots. Maybe I'm the guy who needs to see it before I can believe it. There are a lot of people, you know, who can see the metamorphosis in real time. And then there's some people like myself in this regard who can only see the caterpillar and they can only see the butterfly afterwards. You can't see the transition. You know, some people can see someone declining in real time. And I like to think of myself as someone who can do that in other sports. Basketball, I was the first person years. I, people used to laugh at me when I was like, yo, LeBron is, he's deteriorating before our eyes. And people were like, man, LeBron is still the best player. Boom, boom, boom. No, he's not. LeBron is still this. Boom, boom, boom. And it's not that LeBron's peak can't still be the same. It's the durability. It's the consistency. And now you're seeing LeBron can't play defense like that anymore. Because he has to make the he has to do the math. What can I still do at this high level? Everyone is now telling me that Tom Brady is what what is what is the key word now? The buzzword when it comes to Tom Brady. It's cliff. Right? He's he's approaching the cliff. He's gonna fall off. And yes, Tom Brady is not the same player he once was. But Tom Brady, in my eyes, is very much like LeBron. He can't do it week in and week out the way LeBron can't do it for 82 games. And there are there is an equation in Tom Brady's mind that's like, you know what? I can't do this the way I used to. I have to shortchange this. I have to sacrifice this part of my game to still be a productive player. However, peak Tom Brady still exists. And y'all, I'm going to have to see it before I dismiss it. You are going to have to show me that Tom Brady is dead in the ground his career I'm not speaking in, I'm not speaking literally. But you're going to have to show me that Tom Brady's skills are, are done, buried. you got to show me the ashes of Tom Brady's football talent before I believe that they're gone. Because I'm not writing him off under any circumstance, especially to an Andy Reid-led team. If you want to tell me that the Saints make it to the Super Bowl, I'm sorry. If you want to tell me that the Rams make it to the Super Bowl, I I listen. I don't think the Rams are going to New Orleans and beating the Saints. 
But if you tell me that the Saints don't have home field advantage, if you tell me that somehow a team knocks off the Saints before they get to the NFC Championship game and the Rams can pluck them off, yeah, I can buy that. I can buy that. Absolutely. But the Chiefs? Oh, no, sir. I'm not there. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm a big fan, huge fan of Pat Mahomes, Kareem Hunt. They, got, they have a squad in Kansas City. But the same way I have to see Tom Brady's demise, I have to see Andy Reid come clutch, come up big in clutch coaching situations. Because I have seen it time and time again. And, yeah, I know he went to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I know way back when he went to four straight NFC Championship games. But we've also seen his teams implode in playoffs. Even in Philadelphia, we've seen questionable coaching decisions. Every single year he has been on the sidelines. And I, as I said in halftime, do I think the Chiefs would benefit to have someone who just specializes in these specific situations to help assist Andy Reid? I think that would help. I think that would be a tremendous benefit for that team. Everybody can't be Bill Belichick. And so much has been tied, and rightfully so, Bill Belichick's success has been tied at the hip to Tom Brady and vice versa. And that's not an insult. That's actually true, right? Those two have benefited tremendously to being tied to each other throughout this run of the Patriots' success. But it's not just Bill Belichick game planning. It's not just defensive schemes. It's not just having his team prepared and being ready to do all types of different exotic uh, offensive measures, right? Sometimes the Patriots will run the ball 30 plus times. And then sometimes they'll only run the ball like 10 times. They keep you off guard. And all of that is because Bill Belichick is a great head coach, but I'm not even talking about that much like Tony LaRusa way back when, when he was managing, he would get, he would do these very specific strategic, you know, he would make these strategic plans and game plans and adjustments and, other skippers would try to match it, and they would all fall and fail tremendously. Bill Belichick's in-game um, coaching, his in-game scheming, his in-game adjustments is top-notch, A1, second to none. And if ever Andy Reid lines up against Bill Belichick again, and a game that for all the marbles, right? The last time they did it for a significant game, it was in the Super Bowl. If they were to do it again this year for a significant prize, it would be in the AFC Championship game, I'm assuming. There's no way I'm putting my money on Andy Reid. Doesn't matter where they play. Whether they play in Foxborough or they play at Arrowhead. Doesn't matter. The Patriots, for all the people who talk about the lack of parity, in the NBA, and we've talked about this over and over again on this show, the Patriots do what no other team in any sport does. They've been to, what, seven straight conference championships. <laughs> you know, they've been to three straight Super Bowls or two straight Super Bowls, three out of the last four. They've won two out of the last four Super Like, it doesn't make any sense how great they are. They are 
they are a tremendous, they are head and shoulders above everyone else. And so many people every September are quick to write off the Patriots. And this year, it was the, we stayed true to form. September, they struggled a bit. Oh, man, the Patriots, they're done. And then they go, runs, wins in a row. And now everybody's quick to write off Tom Brady, just like they do oftentimes around this time of the year. Man, Tom Brady doesn't seem like he has the, the arm strength anymore. Tom Brady's numbers have dipped a bit. Oh, man, they don't have Gronk, and Tom Brady's not the same player. And we hear this routinely. We know how this plays out. The Steelers are fun. The Steelers are exciting. The Steelers seem to have some type of swagger. They've been rejuvenated. They've passed this whole Le'Veon Bell situation. How many of you all think that the, P the, pa the Patriots can't beat the Steelers? They do it every year. No matter, no matter what's going on in New England, they always beat the Steelers. We've got the Chiefs. The Chiefs look tremendous. They've lost two games at New England, at the Rams, by a combined six points. They are amazing to watch. Every time they play, it's must-see TV. And I would ask you, how much faith do you have in Andy Reid? Because I have none. Everybody will try to convince you over the next few weeks that this is the year that the Patriots don't make it back. That this is the year that the Patriots fall off, that Tom Brady is done, that the Patriots need to be broken up. And I will be the guy that laughs at all of you who buys it because people have been trying to sell that for years now. Monday Night Football was amazing. It was so much fun to witness. I was like a kid watching Star Wars. You know what I mean? Mouth, jaw wide open, just stunned, eyes open, enjoying every second of it. As we all did, as we all should, this probably is the beginning of a new era of football, right? Everyone is going to try to replicate Sean McVay. Everyone is going to try and get the next Pat Mahomes. Good luck in doing that. But while everyone else is rushing to the, the, the hot new flavor on the menu, right, the, the next big thing, I'll continue to hitch my wagon to sure and steady, to the team that never disappoints, to the team that dominates American sports unlike any other professional team. No, not the Golden State Warriors. No, not the Boston Red Sox. Not the Pittsburgh Penguins. Not anyone else you can think of. The New England Patriots. Because I am more confident now than I've been all season long. Especially after Monday night. The Patriots, they may not win the Super Bowl. But I'll be damned if they ain't playing in it again. All right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed this show. Hopefully you enjoy your holiday weekend, man. Thank you so much for spending time with me on Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. Before I go, some house cleaning notes. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Make sure you email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E Report at gmail.com. And of course, if you're listening to me, you download it or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podknife, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. But tell your friends, tell your family, man, we are the best sports podcast out. I feel confident in that. 
each day, each week as we put a new show forward. As I hear your guys' response, I love all the feedback, but let's make this movement continue to grow, man. Tell your friends, tell your loved ones, tell everybody about the Quarterly Report Podcast and make sure you leave a review, five stars if you would like, but more important, leave a review right down to the world. What you love about the show. Let everybody know why they too need to listen to this podcast. Again, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to. And remember this upcoming Monday, the latest installment in my Wire NBA comparisons will be released. For those of you who are unaware, every other Monday throughout the NBA season, I will be comparing a star of the NBA to one of the best characters on the best television show of all time. I call it my Wire NBA comparisons. Make sure you guys check it out on Instagram. Again, follow me on Instagram at Quarterly Report as well. All right, guys, man. Hopefully you don't eat yourself into a coma. Stay safe. Have fun. And I'll see you back here next Thursday on the Quarterly Report.